Welcome to the Source of the Nile, podcast about media, science, and water diplomacy in the Nile Basin. I'm your host, Emanuele Fantini. I'm a lecturer and researcher at IHE Delft, the Institute for Water Education in the Netherlands. Today, we will talk with Zaki Schuber and Yassi Mohamed about what is water diplomacy and which is the role that science plays in it. The Nile, the longest river in the world. Its basin is home to more than 250 million people and it is shared by 11 Republican countries. I wonder if you can name them all. Burundi, Democratic Republic of Congo, Egypt, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Kenya, Rwanda, Sudan, South Sudan, Tanzania and Uganda. A long list. For a river which is considered a mythic one. People often refer to the Nile as the cradle of civilization. And the Nile is also a mystic river, worshipped in different religious traditions. For a long time, it was believed that its sources were located directly in the paradise. But the Nile is a highly contested river too. All riparian states have ambitious plans to exploit its waters for irrigation or hydropower to address the needs of their rapidly growing populations and to promote national development and economic growth. Nothing new. Historically, the control of the Nile waters was considered a strategic geopolitical issue during the colonial scramble for Africa, but also by national leaders fighting for the independence of their country. The Nile has also inspired poets, filmmakers, and today it's the news particularly when it comes to water conflicts and the risk of future water wars. It can be seen as a source of prosperity, but also despair, a source of fascination and inspiration, but also a source of concern. And we want to explore exactly this. In this podcast, we will try to shed light on a very specific source of the Nile, the sources of the media. Are the media shaping the public opinion and influencing the political agenda when it comes to Nile water diplomacy? Does science matter in these debates? Is objective reporting realistic when it comes to the Nile or is there always a national bias? But also, how can we study the impact of the media on water diplomacy in the age of fake news and alternative facts? We will explore these issues by talking with the researchers, journalists and water diplomats from different Nile Basin countries. But we will also talk to international experts that can be considered uh, full-night citizens because of their long-standing involvement and experience in the basin. So, one river, but many different voices. To reflect this plurality, let's begin by listening to some of them. These short interviews were recorded during the 5th Nile Basin Development Forum organized in Kigali. When I attended the forum, I asked two different participants, why is the Nile important to you? So let's listen to the voices of the Nile. 
Uh, my name is Khalid, and I'm from Sudan. Grew up in an island, in the Nile. Uh, I, I crossed the Nile swimming before joining school. And I used to farm when I was a child. And now, as an economist, um, I know that the Nile is making up uh, indirectly 30% uh, of the uh, gross domestic products of my country, Sudan. Uh, my name is Rawia Taufik and I'm uh, from Egypt. Well, I think the Nile is important to, to all Egyptians because as it is well known, uh, Egypt depends uh, on the Nile for more than 90% of its water needs. Nile is life and life depends on the Nile in Egypt. I am Wambi Maiko, I'm a Ugandan and uh, I am a journalist and they have very great interest in the Nile River not just because I'm from Uganda, but actually I survive from that river. Without that river, we wouldn't be surviving because we depend on it for power, we depend on it for irrigating our crops, we depend on it for fish and other uh, natural resources. Look at the, the sand that is used for constructing houses in Uganda. Nobody knows that part of the sand comes from that lake and say, from that river. And it's, a, it's a mineral that we need also to guard. So my name is Muhammad Hassan. I'm from Egypt. So mainly as we say in Egypt, uh, first in Arabic, uh, in, uh, in Nil, Sirr, now, the Nile is uh, maybe the secret of the main backbone for the ancient Egyptian or even the current Egyptian uh, civilization. So it's, it has everything to do with my life. Also, I'm, I'm rowing in the Nile. It's my extracurriculum activity. So I study about the, the water. I do rowing in the Nile. So it's a big thing in my life. Uh, my name is Lalam Tisfai born and raised in Addis, Ethiopia, in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The Nile, uh, I see the Nile as uh, the vein of our countries. And as you know, like the blood, the, blood, uh, the, the blood is like the most crucial part of our entire body. And of course, when you look at your body, different parts of uh, your body will require blood to be there everywhere, right? But there needs to be a cooperated uh, system for your body to function. So I see the Nile as that crucial life source that drives our countries. These were a few voices of the Nile. You could hear that people have many different understanding and different views about the Nile and about how its waters should be shared and managed. Of course, this plurality of voices and perspectives can be controversial, particularly when these views are framed in terms of national interest or national security. And this is why the Nile is always featured in media reports talking about potential water wars or basins up for grab. And here's where water diplomacy steps in. But what exactly is water diplomacy? And how does it unfold in the Nile Basin? Let's start by asking this question to Zaki Schuber. Zaki is lecturer in law and water diplomacy here at uh, IHE Delft. Welcome, Zaki. Thank you, Emanuele. So let's start with the question that many are asking, including some of our colleagues here in Delft. What is water diplomacy? 
Thank you for asking the question, Emanuela. Indeed, many wonder what water diplomacy is really about. And to answer that question, I'm going to use the definition that the water diplomacy group here at Eidschiedelft has developed. And so we say that water diplomacy refers to the art and science of identifying, preventing uh, potential conflicts over water, as well as negotiating, mediating, and resolving actual water conflict at transboundary level between different actors who have distinct values, interests, positions, and powers, and who rely on and have different knowledges about water. So you define water diplomacy not only as a science, but also as an art. What do you mean with this? So why an art of, uh, of water diplomacy? Um, I think at the core of, of the resolution of disputes is the interaction between actors. And although you can be trained uh, to understand certain knowledges and certain ideas about water, your ability to reach out to other stakeholders, to reach out to uh, the other parties in the room with you, is something that goes beyond science. And it's really an art to be able to connect with other stakeholders, to listen to them, to understand their position, and to convey your own position in a constructive way that allows for all of the parties to move beyond the situation of conflict. And which are the main factors that uh, play a role in, in water diplomacy? If we start looking at the causes and the issues in water-related conflicts, what we see is that relations between actors, water users, are often shaped by hydraulic asymmetries, uh, so natural asymmetries in the, the geography. Uh, we have many upstream users, and the way in which they are using the water often has an impact on downstream users, and so that aspect very often creates uh, disputes between these types of, uh, of parties. Other elements like the historical relationships between stakeholders, the culture that they share or don't share, um, are also elements that play a role in uh, the conflicts that they might be experiencing. Okay, interesting. When we think about diplomacy, we usually think about mostly international relations or foreign policy. But in the case of water diplomacy, to which scale or scales are we referring to? Is it just about international controversies or also about domestic or and local conflicts too? That's also a very good question and I think it really depends on how you define water diplomacy and whether or not you limit it to a particular scale. In the definition I gave you earlier, IHE has identified uh, the transboundary level, so really the international level, as the entry point. But I think it's important to realize that uh, the different levels at which water is managed and used um, are interconnected and that what happens at a local level might have an international element to it and vice versa. So for instance, if you're thinking of the construction of a dam, uh, that may cause local populations to be displaced and so will have a local effect. Uh, but the operation of that dam might have an impact on downstream users who might live in another country. Having said that, some also consider that water diplomacy applies to domestic situations and not to interstate relations, also because 
as we were saying earlier, it's an art and a science, and so the art, the skills of uh, bridging uh, parties and disputes is something that will happen at all levels, not just the international level. So I see that there could be different understanding and different interpretation of the art and science of water diplomacy. But do you know when was the term coined and by whom? The, the use of the, of the term water diplomacy or hydro diplomacy, as some call it, is I think a relatively new one. I think it probably emerged, emerged um, over the, the last two decades um, and has been used even more frequently in the, in the past five to, to ten years. Um, I can't tell you who exactly coined the term. Uh, I haven't done research to identify uh, the person. Um, what I'd say is that nowadays everyone is talking about it, so it's a bit of a buzzword and it does attract a lot of attention um, as a result. But if you really think about it, it's not a recent phenomenon. If you think of water diplomacy in, in the broader sense, in, in the idea of, of water conflict management at different levels, it's really been going on for millennia. We know that uh, Mesopotamian cities along the Euphrates and Tigris had disputes around water uh, with the, the typical dichotomy I was explaining earlier of upstream and downstream, um, which had to be resolved. And so we, we realize as a consequence that water-related disputes have been around for, for a long time and that the stakeholders, the different parties involved um, or affected by these disputes um, have had to develop tools and in order to be able to resolve these conflicts. So, per se, it's not a new phenomenon, but the terminology is new. So, we also use this terminology in our podcast, in our project, and we hope to get attention as well. So, we are discussing with uh, Zaki Schubert about what is water diplomacy, a concept that became popular in the last five, ten years. So, I was wondering, who are the main actors talking about water diplomacy and engaging in the field of water diplomacy nowadays? The first ones that come to mind, of course, are, are the riparians or the users of the water resource that are involved um, in a dispute, uh, whether we're talking about surface or, or groundwater, and who have to find a way to overcome that situation. Um, however, I think once you, you start to, to look at a situation and to understand its nature and the, and the ramification of the dispute, you realize that many more actors might be involved. So in the case of transboundary basins, for instance, we see many countries offering to support the riparians of that basin to reach an agreement. So to name a few, Switzerland, Sweden, Germany, the United States, but also the Netherlands and others are engaged in a form of water diplomacy as third parties. So for those familiar with the Nile, they'll know that some of the countries I've just mentioned are present in the basin and are trying to create an environment um, that's conducive to the parties um, of the basin reaching an agreement. We have other players as well, of course, um, institutions that provide funding for the construction of infrastructure, um, such as dams. The UN family is, is there uh, as well. A number of organizations um, are active in areas related to, uh, to water uh, and water diplomacy, in particular in relation to legal frameworks. So for instance, the UNECE, the Economic Commis Commission for Europe of the United Nations, uh, hosts the Secretariat of one of the Universal Conventions on Water, which is the Convention on the Protection and Use of Transboundary Watercourses 
and international lakes. And of course, there are many others who are also involved, uh, experts in various water-related disciplines that bring their knowledge um, to the parties or to a basin or to a dispute to help resolve it. Can you tell us more about the role that academia can play, should play in water diplomacy? Of course, and that's one of the actors I haven't mentioned yet. Um, and so to, to think of the experience that we have here at IHE Delft, uh, we've identified water conflict management and water diplomacy as important areas to focus on from an academic point of view. And here we have activities in three fields, um, education through our MSc specialization in water conflict management and through our joint master program on water cooperation and diplomacy offered together with the University for Peace in Costa Rica and Oregon State University. But beyond that core educational activity, we also conduct institutional strengthening for professionals who don't have time to follow our masters, but who'd like to receive training in this area to enhance their skills and knowledge of water diplomacy in a way that they can apply in their, in their daily professional lives. And so we organize regularly tailor-made um, activities and trainings. And beyond uh, that, of course, there's research, which we are focusing increasingly on here at the Institute. I think it's really important to um, dissect academically the workings of water diplomacy and to understand what its components are and how they relate to each other and how the different actors that I mentioned um, earlier contribute to it. And I think in that sense, academia has a key role to play. Thank you very much, Zaki. So as a lawyer and lecturer involved in uh, education, but also in institution and capacity building and in research as well, do you consider yourself a, a water diplomat? Yes, I think it's fair to say that I am one of the many water diplomats active in this world. Okay, thank you very much, Zaki. It was a very informative talk about water diplomacy and I believe a very good start for our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Water diplomacy as an art and a science. That's a part of the talk with Zaki that I really liked. She spoke about the art of water diplomacy as the ability to reach out to other parties in the room, to listen to other stakeholders and to understand their positions, but also to present your own points in a constructive way in order to move beyond the conflict over shared waters. And we learned that science and academia have an important role to play in the process. This makes me think of a book that I really like, it's called Together, the Rituals, Pleasures and Politics of Cooperation by sociologist uh, Richard Sennett. He analyzes how innovation in technology and in material production also shapes the way people negotiate and work together. I think this is uh, relevant for water diplomacy too. The way different scientific disciplines understand and represent water think about remote sensing or ethnography, or new innovation in technology and infrastructure can have a great impact on water conflicts and cooperation. To further discuss the role of science in water diplomacy, I'm very glad to be joined by Yasser Mohamed, 
director of the Hydraulic Research Center in Sudan and also associate professor of water resource management here at IHE Delft. Welcome, Yasir. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Emmanuel. And I'm also happy to be here to join this uh, podcast. I'm a social scientist. I know very little about uh, technical issues. So which is the role that these disciplines like um, hydrology or water counting, remote sensing can play in uh, water diplomacy? Yeah, okay, this is a good question. Because uh, to my understanding, water diplomacy or negotiations in general, they need information. And this information is based on scientific research. If I give an example, we at the Hydraulic Research Center in Sudan, we receive regular requests for information on transboundary water issues from the people who do the negotiations on behalf of Sudan. Like they ask us, for example, uh, what are the impacts of the Grand Renaissance Dam for Sudan? And we have to do a lot of computations on hydrology, hydraulics, uh, sediment also, uh, and to provide this information so that they can take it to the negotiating tables with Ethiopia and also with Egypt. So to my understanding is that water diplomacy without information cannot do much. I remember uh it was almost a year ago, we were involved in, um, in a workshop to discuss the findings of, uh, of another project we were uh, involved together, was the Accounting for Nile Waters project. And there were many interesting uh, discussions going on about the role that science can play in such a, a politically sensitive uh, debates like the one on the Nile. So uh, when you uh, investigate when you uh, study Nile issues and when you try to communicate uh, those issues to to the policymaker to the uh, to the general public. Which are the main challenges or constraints? If if I understood you correctly, uh, what are the challenges I face when conveying uh, technical outputs to to say negotiators or to to the general public? Uh, the first challenge is that to convey the outputs in a format understandable by the by the say the media or the publics or because it's much easier to communicate these technical outputs technical information to technical staff and usually the negotiators um, in the Nile usually most of them are technical staff they are engineers so they are, they can easily understand what we what we do but Beyond them, it is really challenging because uh, journalists, they cannot easily uh, grasp this output. So a key challenge for us is that we convey the message in a simple format. Huh? The second point is that uh, linking uh, diplomacy, water diplomacy to hydrology uh, sometimes is a key point even for politicians. Uh, because if you see the Nile, the experience now, they were struggling to form Nile Basin Organization for the last 10, 20 years. Eh? And it's not yet conclusive because the attempt was to include 11 countries and they have different interests because of different 
hydrology. So if they could start from the hydrology and then uh, starting cooperation or negotiation at smaller scales, then it might make life easier for water diplomacy or for negotiations because then you, you bring few number of countries on the table to discuss or to debate uh, issues. So to me, the link of water diplomacy to hydrology is key, is key step. Thank you, Yasir. Um, we've heard uh, earlier from Zaki uh, that she, as a lawyer, as a lecturer, uh, she considers herself a water diplomat too. So water diplomacy is not just something for uh, professional diplomats. And I see also from what you're telling that you also need a lot of negotiation skills to navigate in your daily work uh, on researching on Nile issues in Sudan. So do you consider yourself a water diplomat? Yeah, okay. Okay, if you see, if you see uh, what's happening in the Nile, eh? if you see the negotiating teams, eh? say from Ethiopia or Egypt or Kenya, most of the time they are engineers, technical stuff. And only recently, for the last few years, you see staff from Ministry of Foreign Affairs eh? and also from Security Department joining them. Say so if you find a team of seven people, maybe you will find like uh, five people engineers, one from one a diplomat and one is uh, from the security department or uh, from uh, from the military or ministry of defense so uh, i think up to date uh, water diplomacy in our region is is dominated by technical staff and i think that is understandable because because uh, they know the technical fact on the ground and then they can negotiate uh, complemented by inputs from from uh, from uh, diplomats, eh? from, uh, diplomats by career. Uh, so saying that, uh, I can I can consider myself a, a diplomat, water diplomat. From your perspective, which is the main um, water diplomacy issue at stake nowadays in the in the Nile Basin? Yeah. Uh, to me, there are two issues in, at, uh, in the Nile Basin, okay. Uh, you remember we were there together uh, last month in yeah. Kigali, yeah. attending the Nile Forum. And there they, were ra they raised a key question, how you can improve cooperation over water. To me, the approach of the Nile Basin initiative is not successful. So it's much better to approach cooperation at a smaller scale, at sub-basin level, where the hydrology link is very explicit, it's very clear. Because at that scale, countries, they see their, their interest. And if there is interest, people cooperate. If there is no interest, they don't cooperate. If the donors say, you have to cooperate, they don't cooperate. They come to the meeting and then they go. So if we see the Nile Basin, I mean, uh, it's 11 countries, that's too much. I mean, if you see the links, the hydrological links between Burundi, Rwanda, and Ethiopia, there is no link. So why you are uh, imposing to them, they have to agree on something. So it's much easier for negotiation and for water diplomacy if we start at a smaller scale. Thank you very much, Yasir, for pointing at the issue of scale and also for emphasizing how and explaining how hydrology eh, bounds and links together 
different different countries. So in these um, endeavors towards uh, more cooperation, particularly at sub-basin uh, scale, um, which do you think should be the role that scientific communication uh, should play? Yeah, scientific communication is important, and I can refer to a small project we are doing now on the Takazi Adbara Basin. There we are uh, having uh, researchers from Ethiopia and from Sudan investigating what are the costs and benefits if, if the countries cooperate, if the dams in Ethiopia and the dams in Sudan are more cooperated in their operation. So if the countries uh, see this cost and benefit in a very explicit way, in a very genuine scientific way, they can make decision to cooperate or not cooperate. So we are attempting that research. Now we are halfway, around halfway. And what would be next is how we can communicate that outputs for policymakers. Eh? So it is very essential for us to bring them on board uh, right from the start. Thank you very much, Yasir, for being with us. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm sure you enjoyed the interview with Yasir. I've learned a lot. And for me, it was a very interesting example of reflexivity in water research. Yasir told us about the key role that technical science plays in Nile water diplomacy, but also the challenges that scientists in Sudan might face when trying to reach out to a wider public. I also found very interesting his remarks about how hydrology and politics sometimes can collide. International donors or institutions like the Nile Basin Initiatives try to promote a comprehensive vision and action involving all the Nile Basin countries. But sometimes it might be easier to cooperate at a lower scale, where the hydrological links are much more evident, or where infrastructure like dams force people and countries to work together by creating new communities of destiny. That's happening, for instance, with Ethiopia, Sudan and Egypt in relation to the Great Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. And in our next episode, we will explore exactly how the Ethiopian media are talking about this dam and the Nile more in general. you like this podcast. It is part of a broader project called Open Water Diplomacy, Media, Science and Transboundary Cooperation in the Nile Basin. We're working with a network of water researchers and professionals called the Nile Basin Capacity Building Network. We are also working with Africa Water Journalists, with SciDevNet and with Wits University in Johannesburg. The project is supported by the Global Partnership for Water and Development of the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Of course, the views and ideas presented in this podcast do not automatically represent those of the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs. But I'm also interested in your views, so please get in touch and share your comments via email or via the social media. 
you can find all the contacts on the nilewaterlab.org. And finally, a few thanks. First of all, thanks to the Nile Project for the music we are using in the podcast and for their inspiring work. In case you don't know them, the Nile Project is a collective of musicians from different Nile countries performing together to spark curiosity about the Nile and engage people in discussion and action. We will try to have them on board in one of our next episodes. I would also like to thank Nicholas Walton and Molly Quill. They are both journalists and they gave us very precious tips to move the first steps in the world of podcasts. So thank you. And finally, a special thanks to Emily Baust. She's a master student in science communication and water management at TU Delft. And without Emily and her work, this podcast would have never materialized. So Emily, thank you very much. I am Emanuele Fantini and we have been searching for the sources of the night.